dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to Winefabet Street, where the letter of the day is G, and it stands for Graziano. Our guest sponsor for the episode is Jada Vineyards, and our special guest is the one and only Josh Harp. This is the third time on the podcast, and he continues to be a wealth of information. Graziano is popular in Navarra and Rioja regions of Spain. It found its way to California, and although not the most popular grape variety, it is relatively quite a bit in Paso Robles. There were 280 tons crushed in 2021, which may not sound like a lot, but considering there were only 980 tons crushed across all of California, that equates to 29% of the entire state. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know that you could do it right now, literally, while you are listening? New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcast they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. And don't forget to add your email address to our newsletter list on the website to keep up to date on all things exploring the wine glass. Now, hope you enjoy Graciano. Ancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, the UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Right into wine, so you and I can fill the... Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy early Thanksgiving if you are watching this live. And uh, we are back to Winefabet Street, and we are here with the letter G. So we took a month off because, well, it was harvest and it's tough to get winemakers during harvest. <laughs> so we took our month off, but we are here with Josh Harp of Jada Vineyard in Paso. And we are going to be talking Graciano today. So hello, Josh. Hello. Josh. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and for those of you who might be new, I am your co-host, Lori. I'm WSET Level 2, Spanish wine scholar, champagne specialist, Cotteron, and owner of Dracina Wines. And my co-host, Deb. I am Debbie Giaquindo. I'm a certified specialist of wine, a wine location specialist in port and champagne, and a wine uh, certified sherry wine specialist. I am known as the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I am the author of the book, Tapping the Hudson Valley, Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries, Visiting the Hudson Valley Wine Region. Um, and I'm a partner in a restaurant in North Wildwood, New Jersey called Trio North Wildwood. And we're open until New Year's Eve and we'll be closed January, February and March and then open again in April. And I think that's it. All right. Busy, busy, busy. Yes. And our guest, Josh, my third time speaking with you on the podcast. So welcome back. Can you give us a little brief bio of yourself? Of 
course, third time's a charm. Um, yeah. You know, I don't have any of those certifications, first of all. But, uh, but you're a winemaker, so. I am a winemaker. Uh, I've been in the Paso Robles wine uh, region for since 2010. Been making uh, the wines here at Jada since 2017. Um, we focus mostly on Rhone and Bordeaux varieties, um, but we also have varieties like Graciano on the property. Awesome. So before we get into the actual interview and before I get to drink or we get to drink, we're going to have a little chat with Elmo. are now official so that means it's time to raise a glass cheers slancha it's gonna be a big week of drinking wine <laughs> it is and it's a this is a great wine to be leading off the week with so this is a 2019 hell's kitchen from jada vineyard and oh, so good just so good so right. so josh Tell us a little bit about um, Jada, the history of the winery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jada was founded by the Messina family, um, who are uh, of um, Sicilian ancestry. Um, Jack Messina, the father of, of the, um, who was the founder, he, uh, um, his parents immigrated from, or sorry, his father immigrated from Sicily um, to the Hell's Kitchen portion of, of New York, which is actually relevant to this uh, this discussion, because this is the wine we're tasting today, it's our Hell's Kitchen. And uh, Jack Messina is a, is a retired uh, cardiovascular surgeon and has always had wine in the family. Came over to Pastorobis to see if he could uh, find some property to to plant some grapes um, and fell in love with uh, this, this piece of property that was originally planted to barley. Um, and so, uh, Planted this this vineyard in 1999 through 2002, and uh, yeah, we just and, and here we are today. So uh, again, I see that I actually started the uh, at this winery in 2015, working under the former winemaker David Gazzaniato. And uh, when he headed back up north to uh, St. Helena, um, I took over in 2017. I've told uh, I've told the story a little bit um, to Lori in the past, but uh, we. We've worked with uh, several consulting uh, winemakers and viticulturists uh, over the years. Um, but in 17, I was working with about four of them who uh, were partially there to um, get Jada to where we wanted to be uh, from a quality perspective and from a farming perspective. Uh, but they were also partially there to make sure that I could take the job over uh, properly and, and not mess anything up. So uh, luckily, I can say I'm, I'm still here. You did a stellar um, job. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, in fact, we did, you know, we've been, we're very excited with that first vintage 2017. And uh, we've just been learning more and more about the grapes that, um, you know, it's amazing, even though some of these vines are over 20 years old now, um, we're still learning a lot from, from them, especially, especially Graciano. And now um, you guys are located in uh, Willow Creek. We are. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So 
I was just to say, yeah, one of the uh, 11 sub-AVAs at Pascua Robles um, and one of the most westernmost AVAs. So we get a lot more of that coastal influence, um, uh, coastal influence. And then also we're a little bit more higher elevation, um, a little bit more in the mountain region as well. Now, not that winemakers have a lot of spare time, but um, you know there are the, there are those few weeks in between when we're waiting to prune and things like that. <laughs> so what do you, <laughs> what, what uh, do you like to do in your spare time? Gosh, you know, uh, it, it depends on who you ask. If you ask my fiance, <laughs> she'll say she'll say wine is my pastime. Mm -hmm. So uh, I yes, I do. You you know how it is. We we mm -hmm. spend a long time thinking. And working and i i love winemaking it really is something that i spend a lot of time learning about um that being said i just got we just got back from the sequoias i love going up and hiking and um exploring california has a lot to offer uh, especially for um for hiking and, and exploration um i love i love just uh being outdoors uh and uh whether it's tennis or golf or or whatever i'll i'll do it i'm i'm happy I'm happy out in the sun. All right. I'm with you. I'll do tennis. I don't do golf. I'm not a fan of golf. If you know, if I, I there's say, a puddle I say, this big, yeah, I'll find yeah. it. You my know, golf, find it. golf is fun, but frustrating. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, 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 I say, I say I like golf, but that doesn't mean I'm good at any of the things. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I'm lucky so I can I, hit I, the ball and it, it doesn't fall right in front of me. <laughs> exactly. If I can do that, I'm happy. It's all about uh, it's all about getting out there, and then also, you know, maybe the beverage, the beverage that you bring along with you as well uh -huh. is important. As and you then, round uh, that ninth hole, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I um, my husband golfs, and uh, we we do not golf together anymore. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> what happened was. Uh, he, I'm up, you know, I would tee off or whatever. And he isn't, he would yell at me, no, do this, this, this. And I would keep saying to him, I don't think my body goes that way. Like, I don't think right. my body can do what you want it to do. And he was like, well, just do it. Yes, it does. Just do it. Stop complaining, doing it. So I did it. And it was the best shot I have ever taken. He's sitting there and he's like, oh my God, look, see, it's awesome. I was on the ground and that was my fourth knee surgery. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, ouch. Yeah. Ouch, yeah. ouch, ouch. So, so you knew. <laughs> I told you. I, I told you my body doesn't do that. <laughs> but it was a spectacular shot. It was. Yeah, well, you know, that's it was worth it, maybe. So at at Jada, how many cases of wine? Do you produce? Does the winery produce? How, yeah, how big good, is it? good question. We're, we're not too big, so we actually have about um, sixty. It depends. We've been we've been pulling some vines out and replanting over the years. So we've been we've been between forty five and, and fifty acres planted on our estate vineyard. Uh, we were recently acquired by um, the Rebley family, uh, a group of wines. So. Um, I now have access to some other really awesome uh, vineyards that are, including one that's just completely chalk. So we're looking forward to working with some other, some new, some new properties. Uh, but that being said, we're um, still only about 3,000 cases produced every year. We're working our way up, but we're trying to be very careful, careful about how we um, increase our production. Um, most of our wine sales are through the tasting room. 
and uh, we do a little bit of distribution, but it's very specific. It's it's um, geared towards placements in restaurants, mostly in specific wine shops, just to sort of get the wine out there and in front of uh, a larger group of people. But um, it's very important to us that that we're offering the same quality to our, our wine club members and, and to our, uh, our customers that come to the taste room. So we're, we're increasing our production slightly um, over, I would say over a four or five period, uh, year period. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing a whole lot more than 5,000 if we uh, are, are, are really ambitious. So you had, you had mentioned that you pulled out some vines and replanted. Mm-hmm. What did you pull out and what did you replant with? Uh, we've pulled out um, uh, early on uh, was sadly uh, some of our first uh, vines that we pulled out were uh, Grenache Blanc um, and Roussan. Uh, those had a lot of leaf roll and uh, red blotch and a lot of other diseases that just they weren't they weren't getting into the sugar levels we were looking for um, and uh, just weren't giving us good flavor. So those had to come out. Um, we've also pulled out some blocks of uh, Moved, and let's see what else we pulled. Cab Franc was another uh, one that just it, it can be quite difficult. I've seen Lori's, yeah, Aww. it can be quite difficult. So, uh, and it's you know when it works, it's amazing. Um, but uh, sometimes it sometimes it, it has to work, right? It has to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it sometimes it's just sometimes it's a clone thing. Uh, sometimes it's a soil thing. Um, in our case, I think it was probably more clone related because there is some Cab Franc that does work well here. Uh, I've had some good good examples of it. Um, we're putting back in, what we're trying to do is really <coughs> go at it with a focus on <coughs> soil type mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and also um, aspects and elevation. So where, for example, where we would have one hillside let's say it's a you know, most of our vines or all of our vines are um are are uh, the road directions is northeast to southwest road direction okay. uh, but we've got aspects most of it's south uh south southwest aspects um but we also have some more north or or even flat regions on our property as well because our all, all elevation is about 300 feet difference between our lowest section and our highest section so lots of rolling hills just to describe a little give you a little picture, lots of rolling hills um, and uh, and then different heights and different soil types across those hills. Um, and in the past, we've found that we'll have, let's say, one big hill where the top is mostly exposed, um, rocky, calcareous um, soil, uh, really thin um, and sh- uh, shallower rooting um, possibilities. And then down at the bottom, where you can imagine a lot of that over thousands and thousands of years, the soil is sort of sloughed off. And so we're seeing a lot of that top, top soil and top surface layers down at the, uh, settling down at the bottom. So we're seeing deeper, more clay loam at the bottom. So we're really focusing on maybe planting maybe the top of a hill um, separately and, and distinctly from the, the bottom. And uh, a lot of what we're trying to do is um, Syrah, um, Graciano is another one that we're putting in a lot at the top because uh, it can handle a little bit more heat. And then um, Cabernet or Merlot at the bottom and maybe a little bit of Syrah as well, just to give us some variety in, in temperature and soil type. You don't um, have any whites? 
We used to have some Viognier, and that was, uh, unfortunately, that was one of the last ones we had to pull out. Um, thankfully, we do have access to some Viognier off of some of the new properties we're working with. We do plan to um, put in some new whites, but we're debating what to do just because I love Viognier. Um, but there's also the potential for some other maybe Spanish or Portuguese varieties that might work really well on this property. Um, so we're, we're, we're debating, you know, we're trying to be very um, careful about what we're going to put in and something that's going to be a long-term, you know, as, as we would all hope uh, these vines would be, but a, a long-term, uh, you know, plan and, uh, and hopefully plan for any climate um, changes that we're, we should be expecting in the future. So that's, that's very important to us as well. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, <clears throat> I had one sip, but I want more. Yeah. So let's talk about Hell's Kitchen. So if you can go into before we go into the actual wine itself, you know, you talked about the Hell's Kitchen, but you know what? You, you have to talk about my other my other favorite wine and the reason why these names are the way they are. So, uh, uh, yeah, because we have the Jersey girl as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. So. So, again, um, the well, I'm a New Kitchen. Yorker. I just live in Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So the the Hell's Kitchen is uh, I I I love the I I have to admit I've never I've never visited Hell's Kitchen but I've I've learned a, a, a little bit over the years and from what I've 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 uh, you know from people I've talked to we have a lot of people who come in, come here from who've either grew up around that area or who, who who work in that area who are like oh my gosh I I mean I didn't know you guys made this wine um, I really like thinking of this, especially since the um, Jack Messina's father immigrated into Hell's Kitchen. It's kind of like the melting pot of our, of our wines. It's where we bring together a lot of different varieties um, that sometimes don't play nicely, sometimes play exceptionally well, and you have to find that right balance. And um, they all bring their own personalities. And uh, um, so it's it's one of the most challenging wines to blend, but it's definitely one of the most rewarding. Um, it's we we call it our GSM, but you know I think you know our GSM style, but we're trying to move away from that as we um, are educating our customers because uh, we have Graciano and we love we use using that Graciano in place of of Moved, which we do not have on the property. Um, and so, but GSG or S, well, this is SGG doesn't, doesn't quite have the same, <laughs> same thing. So, so for, for us, it's, it's more of like a Rhone style, um, blend, but again, it's, it's really, it's really its own thing. So, uh, that we're trying to achieve. And then just to touch on, uh, what Lori was, just, we have our, uh, uh, Jersey girl as well, which is our, our Syrah offering, um, and, uh, but we do a uh, coat roti style um, co-fermentation on one of the components for that wine every year. Um, so we actually have a, typically we have one clone of our Syrah on the property that ripens a little bit earlier than all of the other clones that we're working with. And so we're able to catch that Viognier is kind of towards the end of its, you know, hang time out in the vineyard. Um, and we'll pull that off co-ferment them together at sometimes 80% Syrah, 20% uh, Viognier. And then we'll blend in other clones of Syrah and sometimes a little bit of Graciano uh, as well um, and bring that Viognier percentage down to about 5%, which I, I think is just a sweet spot for us here at Jada. So uh, 
still very much there, but it's not trying to dominate uh, the Syrah and, and uh, just shows really nicely. But, uh, but again, not to, I, I, I won't, uh, I know Lori and I have talked I a little bit in the past. We're going to go back to Hell's Kitchen. What, what, how, I love Hell's we, Kitchen. Yeah. I, I, well, I love the wine Hell's Kitchen, but I also love Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> it is a phenomenal place just to yeah. like walk around and experience New York. It is an incredible place to to just, I think it's got a, a big heart of New York is, is there. Yeah. Right. right. So obviously they lived in Jersey. The well, uh, the what was it? Um, uh, Jack Messina and his children grew up um, not not in the Hell's Kitchen area. I think it was Amherst, um, okay. Amherst, New York. So in New That's York, Buffalo. Yeah, Is that where? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So they moved. They moved out of that area, Hell's Kitchen area, okay. um, over to there, and that's kind of where um, the family um, later on grew up. And okay. then Jack Messina met his wife, who was a Jersey girl. Okay, and so, so the yeah. Jersey girl is yeah. is uh, much to to her. So. That's what I, th I thought it was. Yeah, the wife. So yeah. Someone yeah. came from Jersey. Somebody came from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So back to Hell's Kitchen. Uh, how much Graciano, what's the percentage of this in this vintage? Because I know, right, it changes from vintage to vintage. It does change from vintage to vintage. And, and this is 17% in, in, in the, this vintage, the 2019 that we're tasting today. Um, often the Graciano and the Grenache will kind of flop, uh, switch places, and depending okay. on which one's dominant. We do a lot of uh, co-fermentations. It's something I believe deeply in, in doing. We're, we're spending a lot of time in the vineyard and seeing what's ripening and where, what sections are ripening um, in the vineyard uh, and seeing if there's anywhere that we can maybe play a little bit and, and, and ferment these varieties together. So um, often there's, there's really just no way that we're planning, we can plan um, these percentages, uh, uh, that, you know, a, a goal percentage because we are do, doing so many co-fermentations and a lot of them are made quickly in the in in the vineyard uh with no real uh numbers in mind more just i think this is going to work these are tasting really nice so uh example is we'll do um you know we'll do uh let's say like 80 percent syrah 20 percent graciano and 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 um sometimes we'll do 60 percent syrah and 40 percent graciano uh, as a co-fermentation um and then we'll start blending all these together. And uh, the idea is I, I like to have a little bit more Syrah um, dominating this wine. Um, but the goal is how can I have all three of those varieties still show through and, and, and be representative in this, in this wine, um, especially Grenache, because I love Grenache as well. Um, and so I think it's really important not to mask any of those, those, those wines. So. so on on the nose, this is extremely dark fruit to me. Um, and yes. we, we were joking earlier before coming on about Thanksgiving table, but oh my God, this, this would be phenomenal on a Thanksgiving table. Yeah. And I think this, this year, especially, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about, um, how tannins are playing, especially with the Graciano. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is just one of the most, uh, luscious, um, Hell's Kitchens that we've made. I mean, just there's just really no rough edges um, anymore. Any of that has worked out in the, in bottle over the last year or two, so or a year, I should say. And uh, yeah, I think this is just it's just a great. It's going to pair really well with anything you throw at it. Yeah, it's um like I say, very dark fruit. It's got that we we had talked about this previously. The the like baking spice concept of it. Um, 
And on the palate, it's actually kind of a rather full-bodied, full-bodied wine. And the tannins at, like dance on your tongue. When you first taste it, the tannins are there, but they start to kind of break down nicely so that the the um, finish lingers, but you don't right. have that that drying effect that tannins can provide. Right, exactly. Yeah, we always want, we're always looking for that weight, that viscosity on the mid palate. Um, it's, it's probably one of the biggest signals that I use um, while myself and, and the assistant winemaker were blending through these wines. Um, if, if there's mid palate missing, that's when we start trying to bring in the spice dish and see because for me, that's one of the most important um, sort of, uh, I say subconscious and uh, uh, subconscious uh, signals that they, maybe you're, it's not going to be quite as full or have that lasting, as you're saying, lasting tannin profile. Um, so yeah, that's something where we're focusing on big time, and a lot of that is coming from the ability that we have to co-ferment our Syrah with Graciano, because as you know, Syrah can be very, very tannic. If you, uh, if you leave it on the skins too long, depending on the vintage. Um, sometimes we're doing a little bit of whole cluster, so that's gonna add some tannin as well. And uh, when we throw Graciano in there, um, it just, it brings that tannin level down. It's contributing a lot of color on its own, um, which is polymerizing and creating this just amazing um, co-fermentation effect uh, where you get the, again, where you get that mouthfeel, that viscosity, but you don't get the drying tannin on the finish. And, and uh, yeah, we, we just, we love using it in that, in that manner. And is the, these aromas, are you, is that more the Graciano? Because um, yeah, Grenache, Grenache to me is more, I always get a floral essence to it. Right. And this is a much right. deeper, deeper. I don't, I don't have that, that floral thing. So is this more that Graciano taking? Yeah, exactly. No, we, um, the Grenache we use for the house kitchen really is usually more, um, that candied red fruit um, and, and and a little bit more floral, like you're saying. Um, so that's just to help lift that the aromatics up a little bit and support the other two varieties. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think you, you nailed it. It's you know the Syrah that we're using for this predominantly is also not an extremely dark or peppery fruit. It's a little bit more on the red side. When we add that Graciano and especially yeah. that whole cluster. It's adding just this wave of pepperiness, um, some earthy characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, and as we age this, it gets a little bit more meaty, a little bit more leathery. Um, and it kind of, when, when, you, when we co-ferment them, it, it sort of takes the place of what we know of um, some Syrahs. And, uh, um, but we're able to do that with some Syrah clones that are a little bit more, um, that lend themselves well to this co-fermentation, allow that Graciano to show through a little bit more. So since Graciano is, can be very intense mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, you use it in a blend, is it bottled as a single varietal? We have always had, we only have um, just over an acre and it's never enough. We actually just planted some more Graciano. So uh, it'll be in a different clone as well, which I'm excited to try. So, um, there's been years we've been tempted to do 100% Graciano. Um, I love it. I think it can be very polarizing. And, and the only reason I can say that is um, our particular particular clone that we have on the property tends to be a little bit more um, colorful and not very tannic, uh, which is 
kind of the holy grail when it comes to uh, grapes for winemaking. Um, there's there's very few grapes out there that that give you that every year. Um, normally, with color comes uh, great tan and, and great responsibility as well. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so in our case, we can actually we've let uh, these wines or the the um, uh, sorry that we've let it sit on skins in tank for over thirty days. And it wow. will never, it will never be too tannic. Um, and so we're actually finding our perfect uh, kind of balance between extended maceration and also where um, where we start to lose maybe some um, varietal characteristic and and some freshness. So we we're, we'll let it sit as long as it needs to sit. And um, and again, it it'll never be too tannic. It'll actually be a little bit too much on the soft side for me, for my my pre preference, uh, where you're you're kind of hoping that there's a little bit more structure and a little bit more roundness on the palate, uh, which is, again makes it a, a, a fantastic um, co-fermenter or, uh, or or blender, you know, down the road if you need to soften the wine up a little bit. Um, and then from a flavor perspective, um, we've seen the wine be very much on the black pepper side um, and the dark, dark red to, to black fruit um, quality, to all the way to um, where there's sometimes there's this characteristic of almost like a cayenne pepper mm -hmm. characteristic mm -hmm. to it. Something I've, I've never, I've never smelled or tasted on in any other uh, variety off of this property. And um, I, unfortunately, as, 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 as winemakers, we have to weigh whether that's appealing to us or appealing to everybody, <laughs> right. and uh, I I would love it, and I would, but we'd probably only be able to bottle, uh, you know, maybe twenty cases of it for ourselves because most people, it, it, it's a it's a lot to um, maybe uh, you know take in all take at once. So, yeah. So the Graciano grape came from it's grown in Navarro and Rioja regions of Spain. Mm -hmm. And from what I read, that's kind of where it originated it. How did it get to California? And now, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous. So we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers. The Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the final four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stocked the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the biggest importers, I think, I think, I'm not sure who else is bringing it in, but I know Sunridge Nurseries is, is one of the, the first licensed, um, what is the, uh, the yeah, licensed propagator for, for Graziano. Okay. 
which is and they're the they're the nursery that brought in uh that 571 uh monastrell clone that we have here on the property and a lot of others have in the area as well so we can talk more about that yeah we'll get there (laughs) it sounds like you guys like like the spanish varieties on on your property you like I, I, you know, yeah, I, I think um, Tempranillo, well, again, it comes down to you only have so much uh, square footage and we would love to plant um, all so many different varieties. Uh, uh, but what we've had to focus on maybe trying different clones of, for example, Syrah. But I know Tempranillo would work really well on this property. We don't have Tempranillo, unfortunately, but I have, we're starting to work with it from some different properties. And uh, but yeah, and then also some Italian and Portuguese varieties would probably work really well here also. And I think again, as we're moving, as the climate's changing a little bit, a little bit more, and we're seeing a little mm-hmm. bit more heat. Um, I think the Willow Creek district is um, perfectly suited uh, in, in its in its location here in the Paso Robles AVA um, to handle some 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 more heat uh, in the, in the years to come, and 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 be able to grow some of the, those Spanish varieties really well. So um, before we get back to Graciano, we have Karen who uh, sent in a question. She said that she she looked up Jada and Mm -hmm. uh, she said that they she read that you are biodynamically farmed and have a gravity flow building. So can you Mm -hmm. go a little bit more in depth about what that is and what that means to your winemaking style? Sure. So we, I have to say we were biodynamically farmed. We're no longer biodynamically farmed, but um, uh, I, I can say that we've learned a lot since practicing biodynamics in the vineyard. Uh, we're now um, certified organic as of this year. Um, we've been practicing, through, while we were practicing biodynamic farming, we were also practicing, therefore, organic farming as well um, and using mostly uh, mostly organic principles and and throwing in some biodynamic farming practices on top as we were learning how to use them. Uh, so we've actually been farming organically 100% for since 2014 now, and uh, and then decided that we would go ahead and go for certification this year. So I can say happily say that we're we're doing that. Um, yeah, bi- biodynamic farming is is like a whole other conversation. It is. <laughs> And, and it is a lot to get into, but um, I can say that what I have learned from biodynamic farming has been um, it's very, very important to get out there in the vineyard and spend and have a, a, a large attention to detail on what how your practices are not only affecting the vine, but also affecting the ecological health um, of everything else around it. So we've we're, we've really put a lot of focus on making sure that we have um, you know, healthy soils, um, healthy riparian areas surrounding the vineyard. And, uh, I think we've seen great benefits from that. Just, just in, in, it, 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 maybe it's a little bit, um, uh, how, how do you say, We're, you know, kind of seeing what I want to see, but when you look out in there in vineyard after some of these, after practicing these, um, biodynamic and organic farming, you, everything looks a little bit greener and there's mm-hmm. more insects in the air and there's more animals uh you know running around the vineyard so uh, we have healthy uh healthy populations of all kinds of birds 
and of course also our the our favorite um, gophers and squirrels because <laughs> they love it too. Um, I was gonna say you don't hear too many winemakers say favorite gophers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I've come up with this theory, and I I'm hoping that it will uh, prove true in some way at some point in the future, just so that I can. Uh, so that, you know, so I can be right. Cause, <laughs> uh, you know, so we were, uh, we only trap, uh, trap gophers. Uh, we don't use any, any poisons or anything like that because again, we are practicing organic farming. And, um, but you know, one thing you notice with gophers is yes, they put, they make holes in the grounds, ground all over the place, but they're also allowing uh, so, uh, moisture penetration when it rains mm. down into the soil. You're also seeing the soil get turned over uh, without the use of of any uh, disking or uh, you know any ripping or anything like that. So, so for vines that are mature and have um, healthy root systems, um, I would say you know I, I wonder if that there's some very there's some positive effects from having gophers in the vineyard, not completely eliminating them necessarily. Um, you know, and also they're fertilizing, right? They're fertilizing the that ground. They're pulling the pulling the weeds underneath and um, you know, there's been many, many days where I've, I've just been sitting out in the vineyard and I watch, I watch, a um, uh, a radish that we've planted, you know, in our cover crop, just go thunk into the ground, like in, a, like in the Looney Tunes. So, um, there, it's really a fascinating, uh, you know, cycle that, that you get to observe out there when you're paying a little bit more attention. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all right. So I'm going to get a little geeky now, or I'm going to ask you to get a little geeky. Perfect. And, uh, so how does Graciano grow in the vineyard? Are we early ripening, late ripening? You know, do you know what's that? What's that fruit set like? And you know, the the dreadful flowering, you know, period, like. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, I can, I can, uh, I'll, I'll, I can speak for our vineyard um, mm -hmm. specifically, and then um, a little bit more broadly. But um, in general, it's a little bit more. It's more mid to late uh um bud break so that's um it's one of the last varieties um on the vineyard to yeah to to push i think in the vineyard so it's probably one oh, of the wow. last ones and it's actually it's not in a cool spot either it's actually um on one of the higher areas but one of the flatter um areas of our vineyard in a mixture of of calcareous and clay loam soil so um i would say at that point you can say pretty pretty um, confidently that it's, it's more of a, it's a later bud break. Um, and it's also mid to late um, as far as the harvest, uh, uh, harvest period goes as well. Um, so I think it's a good, a good example of, uh, of a variety that can handle um, a little bit more of uh, a little bit more of the heat. Cause it's not, it's not super late. And it's also not super early as well. Um, for us, we tend to be, uh, tends to be on a, a pretty, Pretty vigorous, actually, surprisingly vigorous. Um, it is on 1103P rootstock, which is a vigorous rootstock. Um, but even in in really dry years where we're not giving it a lot of uh, a lot of water, um, there tends to be really um, healthy wood and good canopy, which I think is really important for protecting the fruit because even though it can handle a little bit more um, intense heat, uh, the berries are um, can be pretty small and those will those will burn pretty quickly in the direct sun. So um, we tend to see really good fruit set um, and good yields every year, regardless of whether it's a, it's a wet year or more of a drought year like we're experiencing now. And um, I'm not sure what, you know, I think it has just a great kind of natural protection for, 
you know, you see, again, we see a lot of color, so it's really reacting to, to the sun. And um, by being fairly healthy and vigorous um, and, uh, you know, larger canopy, larger leaf as well, it's, it's protecting that fruit pretty well as well during the, during the heat spells. And with the tannin, I'm assuming thick, thick skin. It depends on the year. You know, I've I've seen I've seen some years where um, you know we've had some really it's all small uniformly small berries and and fairly thick skins. Um, it does have what uh, you know I've the, a lot of people have different terms for it. it has that kind of slip skin effect where the pulp just pops out once you destem it. So um, it can have that effect too. Where uh, and so. Uh, it just depends. And I've also seen years, um, I think this this year was a good example of it, where um, you'll have both large berries and small berries on on the same uh, bunch. Oh, and yeah. it, it's, it's just not uniform at all from a berry berry size. And uh, but yeah. it, sometimes sometimes I think that actually adds to the complexity because you get this sort of slightly uh, less ripe and slightly more ripe mm -hmm. berry on the same cluster. And, and for me, what I've found is um, if we can catch that window where it's a little bit earlier, you get more black pepper characteristics out of that. Okay. So, yeah, where I see that kind of mixed or non-uniform berry size, I'm also sometimes seeing a little bit more black pepper um, characteristics. It could Again, that could just be me wanting to see what I want to see there. But, uh, uh, you know, there's there's years where we just it's very much just dark fruit and there's not as much pepper. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's it's really interesting. Um, do you think it has to do with the heat? Like if on a on a hot growing season, maybe there's less pepper, more pepper. Did you ever? I think that can be part of it. Absolutely. I think, um, for example, in nineteen, we did see a pretty decent amount of of pepper um, out there, and and also I like I always I, one of my favorite parts of Graciano. Um, not only as a grape, but also just walking out in the vineyard and, and, and checking on the vines. It's one of the few varieties I've actually experienced that you can smell. You can smell the either the fruit or the stems because they also have a, a very peppery, black pepper quality to them. And you can smell it as you're walking through the, the vineyard. And, wow. and usually once, once they get a little bit more ripe. I think, I think in 19, it was a little bit more of a moderate growing season. It was a little bit cooler. And so the vine or the, um, the, the stems got a little bit riper before we were, we were harvesting them um, and uh, a little bit more hang time. And so I just, a lot of that was getting concentrated. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think we, I think temperature can have an effect, but mostly in that it's really affecting with the harvest period, um, you know, how long we're hanging it, uh, you know, later or, 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 or not as late. So yeah, it's a good mm -hmm. question. Anyway, and with that, what are some of the trials and tribulations of growing Graciano for you? Trials and tribulations. One, um, like I said before, is it's uh, it's one of those varieties, um, much like Merlot, where uh, Laurie and I were just talking about Merlot. You'll you'll be watching it one day; it looks great, and um, you're like, I should probably harvest that. And then the next day, you have a hot day and it's raisins. So uh, <laughs> it really can happen very very quickly. Um, as I think because it can get quite dark, uh, the darker the berry gets, the more susceptible to that that um, kind of flash raisining that can happen if there's a full mm. exposure in the sun uh, on a really hot day. So uh, we'll see, you know, you'll see that line where maybe there was some leaves missing 
and uh, on on a day that gets up to you know 98 to 100 degrees because we definitely are getting those a lot more often here um, it's and, and those 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 can be those can definitely uh, will lose a lot of that fruit there um, on on the side that's exposed to the sun so those are things that we've had to learn um, I've also had to learn to uh, the clusters themselves can be quite large but mm -hmm. um, one of the, I mean one of the most beautiful clusters for me because when you even if it's really big you it, it's very loose very very loose cluster so um, every berry mm -hmm. has space in between it and then all of the wings and shoulders are actually hanging very loosely on the cluster itself as well so where you see for example with like Syrah where they tend to be um, they can be small or medium-sized berries quite dense um, Often the wings or the shoulders will want to, uh, as they're hanging on the principal part of the uh, the rachis, they'll they'll sort of just become one clump, and just very dense and very hard to manage. Um, and Graciano is very easy to um, get in there even later, um, maybe right before verasion if you're if you're you're not, you're um, timing it a little bit later, um, you can get in there and, and maybe cut off some weight from each individual cluster and give some room around um, and some space around each individual cluster as well. So it, it lends itself um, very well to um, some more specific farming practices and, and some that higher level of attention to detail um, if you have the money and, and, and will to, <laughs> to do so. Uh, and but you know it's again it's and, and I think also because it's such a loose cluster you get um, it, it helps with uh, preventing mildew issues in the mm -hmm. vineyard because again we are farming organically so mildew is definitely something we're keeping an eye on eye out for so if there's air in the canopy there's usually going to be air around the grapes as well and so um, it's not as susceptible I would say necessarily to to um, powdery mildew than like mobile vet would be. And uh, even though they're, they they seem fairly related or closely, they, they seem very similar. In some <laughs> um, and then also just it gives that very even uh, ripening, just because there is all that um, that air around the clusters around the berries, you get a very even uh, verasion. Um and I think that helps with giving us the color that we uh, that we hope for in the Graciano. Now, do we know who the parents are? You know, I, I for for this, uh, I try to do some extra research and 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 pin it down. It seems to me that I, unless unless I, I, either of you found it, it seems to me that it's very much a Spanish variety, and it's been in Spain for a very very long time. Um, a lot of there's it seems to be a lot of uh, evidence that there are, you know, sisters sisters and brothers and and children of Graciano, but. Finding the parents maybe has maybe not been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess they don't be, want to be found. It may never be found. I mean, if you think about it, it could be it could be a variety that no longer exists and and is only going to we're only going to be able to find it um, through the other similar um, uh, similar varieties or clones that are out there. Um, you know, because I knew I was looking up uh, what is it, um, Bovale Bovale uh, out of Sardinia. Um, okay. I, there's, there's, uh, trying to think some of those synonyms that that we have for Graciano. There's does have a, a lot. Yeah, does have <laughs> and, a lot. And they're finding that a lot of those are actually the same grape. Um, even that, that maybe 
um, especially the Sardini, Sardinian or um, the, the, the clones that are similar are maybe just, again, slightly different clones, but they're all com from, coming from a very similar grave. Um, hence, hence all of the synonyms. Um, it makes sense. And it's amazing that uh, even back then, uh, they had so many names for these things because they all they tasted the same, and they were they were realizing that there were similarities. And yeah, had, must yeah. Have had great palates back then too. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't, you know, see a lot of Graciano. Um, is it grown besides Spain? I know it's it's grown mm -hmm. in Spain. Um, is it grown a lot in California? Is it grown anywhere else? It's uh, it's definitely. I, I think it's definitely making uh, making its way around the world. I know that um, and that you know in France, there we're starting to see some stuff pop up there uh, in the Languedoc region, uh, especially Argentina. I think, um, which makes again makes a lot of sense. Argentina is really playing around with. Uh, um, some great varieties for, for their climate. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I was doing some research and I was talking with um, uh, uh, one of the, the uh, Andrew Jones, the, the, the salesperson for, for Sunridge Nurseries. And he actually said that I could use some of his information that um, he provided for us from Sunridge. And uh, back before, so again, they, they it was imported by, um, not by Sunridge, but by uh, I think a company called Plonzel. And uh, so since Sunridge was the only uh, licensed propagator for this one clone, uh, the, the one that we have, and I think the one, one of the, um, the, the largest propagated uh, clones of Graciano in California now, um, before they found out that they did the genetic testing that this wasn't Mofed, but again, we, we can talk about that more, uh, and it was Graciano, um, they had already sold about 450,000 vines uh, into California, which which is uh, based on the on on an average uh, um, vines per acre, it's over could be over 300 acres were planted mm -hmm. in a pretty short period of time, and uh, so somewhere out there, and, and you know there's that many acres acreage, and uh, and also they're they're still doing about 20 to 50 thousand uh, vines a year. Um, wow. So I think I think I think what um, you know, I, I actually asked him, I said, are you seeing greater demand for these vines now that, you know, we've, we're, we're kind of, Graciano seems to be taken off, at least here in Paso Robles. And, and I think it, there was, his suggestion was um, once people kind of figured out whether Graciano was going to sell or not, or whether we could, I guess, best, whether we could actually sell it to our customers and, 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 and help educate them on what we're trying to do with it. Um, uh, they realized that the love for Graciano was was there, and so we just went mm -hmm. for it. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's there's many wineries, especially here in Paso Robles, but in Lodi, um, Santa Barbara County, Santa Inez, okay. there's Graciano all over California as well. So yeah, I think uh, I think and we, I think we should we'll probably see a lot more uh, get planted here in the near future. So you've, you've kind of hinted at it uh, a couple of times or whatever. And I'm not really sure who came up with this this term for it. It might be Adam Montiel. And if it's uh -huh. not him, I you know I apologize to the person who did it, but <clears throat> the Graciano goof of Paso. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I kind of think it was Adam, but I'm not 100% sure. So this whole Graciano goof that occurred in Paso. So... Can, can you kind of go into it? I think it's hysterical and then I'll do my little spiel of what I think kind of 
yeah. some wineries are still doing, but go ahead. Right, right, right. So uh, I guess just to start um, from the beginning, uh, you know, Jada uh, planted two different clones of Moved uh, on, on the property here. Uh, and one of them was called 571 Monastrel. Uh, Monastrel being a, a synonym for, for Moved or Movedra. And, um, and again, we were, that was, that was through this nursery, um, because that's, it was sold to them as, as a clone of, uh, uh, of, of, of Moved, but as 571 or Monastrel. Um, there may, we're not sure how the confusion happened. I know there's, uh, there's another synonym of, of Graciano called Morastel, which is very similar. And, and there could have been confusion as to, uh, what it that was there. That R can look like an N. <laughs> it, 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 exactly exactly so uh yeah exactly you never know uh maybe it was a, do a doctor writing the <laughs> writing the, the tag so you never know uh, but uh and so anyways um a lot of us especially here in Pasarobis had been working with this clone this 571 monastrel clone moved for many years probably i would say over 10 years um and uh i'm not sure if it was coincidental or if it was um justin smith of saxon who was the first to kind of say hey can we look at this a little bit closer um and uh because he was i know his story is he uh, justin smith was uh comparing that 571 clone and then some of his other clones of of moved or motaro and just and realizing this, it didn't it didn't really make sense because most of the clones should be what is the the you know morphologically right. similar yeah. enough that you can tell them uh, you know say that they're pretty similar if not the same uh, variety. Um, so I think he sent it off for for genetic testing and it came back that it was uh, a clone of Graciano. So uh, so I think and then contacted the nursery and they're like, yep, okay, uh, sounds good. <laughs> And uh, so you, that's when you'll see it from Jada. We went from in 2017 was the last year that we had Moved on the label. And, and <laughs> it was uh, and immediately changed over to Graciano the following years. Did you bottle that as a single varietal or was it a blend? Did you use that grape to bottle? As a, as a blend, yeah, as a blend. Okay. So for, for example, this Hell's Kitchen would have said, would have been a true GSM right. <laughs> back okay. in 2017 right. and before. Uh, mm -hmm. But we had been using it in, and that's the fascinating part of this. We've been using it in place of, of Moved, you know, this whole time because they have similarities in, in, in profile. I mean, they they can be earthy, they can be spicy. Um, you know, sometimes you get, you get this kind of mushroomy quality to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, for me, I actually prefer it. I think it it, it does um, it, it performs extremely well in, in, in our microclimate here in the Willow Creek district, especially, but not just in, in Paso in general, um, has a little bit more acidity. doesn't quite reach that same high pH that Moved can often get to, um, later in the season. Um, and, uh, yeah, so acidity is, is, is a big one. And then again, like the tannin isn't quite as significantly, you know, uh, high as, as sometimes you see with the, the other varieties. So, um, so yeah, we've, uh, we've been very happy with it. And I think just kind of, again, pushing it and, and educating our customers, um, and how we're using it. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really positive on, on seeing that this is being a variety that's going to, um, move forward with, with, you know, any changes we're going to see in the climate in the, in the future. 
So I think it didn't Justin Smith see like it had gold, like the edges yeah. of the leaves were a little bit gold and Maved doesn't have that or I have it reversed. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm color deficient or colorblind or whatever oh, okay. it is. So like visual cues from color perspective aren't something that I normally remember okay. very well, but, um, okay. you know, the leaf shape is similar. But yeah, yeah I think it they're... just had like the edge of the leaf of Graciano yes. of Moved. It, no, no, of Graciano has a gold like on the edge of the leaf. Right. And as right. Justice Smith was walking by, he's like, uh, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's like Moved should have like this like distinct bronzy. I don't yeah. know, I can't remember what it is. And then, yeah, yeah and, and it just didn't. It so, didn't. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So that was a big one. And then also when you look at him now, I mean, now that we know, um, now we know what it is. If you look at even at the clusters, it's just it's they're they're, they're quite different. Um, I would say Graciano is more, uh, you know, how I describe the clusters being loose and and still pretty big cluster, but loose and and small to small, but fairly uniform berries. Um, I think Moved often is just a little bit more dense, mm -hmm. dense of a cluster. Uh, but yeah, again, it, it's it's you you usually think that maybe that's just, that's a soil thing. That's a rootstock thing, you, you know, that's causing that or farming technique. Um, and so, yeah, we, it'd be really hard to convince yourself without, uh, you know, really looking at the whole picture. Right. When you're being told it's something, it's easy to convince oh, yourself so easy, that yeah. it is that, right? Exactly. Um, I was in, I was in Humia and I was telling them about, about this, you know, in, in Paso and they're like, really? They thought it was the same thing. They're so different, but like, <laughs> right. I'm like yeah, but we got, right. you know, this is your grape, you know? Yeah, this yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. We were, right. We were learning about it and, and, uh, you know, we're still learning here in Paso Robles, which varieties are more suited to which areas. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that, that, a happy mistake is, is, is what I call it. Um, and, yeah, something. I mean, again, we, we're not we're not looking back. That's for sure. We're looking right. forward when it comes to Graciano. Now, I don't know. I also hear that there are some wineries that are still going by Movedra. I uh, I don't I, I you know I don't know I don't know. Sorry, there's a fly blown around, <laughs> flying around. But uh, I I understand that completely. Uh, you know, it's it's really tough to especially I'm I'm a, I can be a purist or not I mean a purist, but um, I can be a data guy sometimes and, and uh, you know, we track everything down to the half gallon or whatever and, and our percentages we try to be very precise with. So yeah, if it, unless someone, uh, you know, comes out and tells me this is, this is what you should call it. Um, I, I totally get that. And we, you know, we had to have an internal discussion on it too. You know, what are we going to do? Because we're, we can no longer call this a GSM and, and, and GSM sounds way sexier than GSG or <laughs> It just it's it's a harder sell sell and 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 GSMs have been to be fair GSMs have been um, growing in popularity, but only because it's taken some time for uh, you know customers buying GSMs in the stores to to understand what it is you know what why why that blend is different than any other blend so. Um, that has taken some time, and then all of a sudden we're handed this. Uh, you can't go, you, you don't you, know, you can't call it that now because it doesn't make sense. So, uh, yeah, we embraced it. Uh, I know a lot of there's definitely probably more, at least that I know here in Pastoral Place that have embraced it than those mm -hmm. have that have not.
yeah. and some of those are the top wineries, including uh, again, including Saxon, like we talked about, yeah. Turtle Rock, Torrin. I mean, those are all they're all, all fantastic wineries that are using Graciano and, yeah. and calling it what it Come calling on. it what it, what it is. So. Right. <laughs> so you talked about um, how you co-ferment um, mm -hmm. for Hell's Kitchen. Do you co-ferment anything else that you produce? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We do a lot of co-fermentation and, and, and we use a lot of, um, uh, we use a lot of phenolic analysis in the vineyard. And, uh, so we're checking color, we're checking tannin in the vineyard. Um, it's not a, uh, it's not a, a perfect solution. So it's just another tool that we use out there. We're also doing a lot of tasting, um, a lot of just visual, um, using visual aspects to, to make these decisions. Um, but often there's years, for example, we were talking to Lori and I were talking about Merlot. Um, there's years where the, the flavor is just striking and, and, and wonderful, but maybe we're not getting quite the color or quite the structure. We know we're not going to get that mid palate density that we're looking for. So we'll throw in, a, you know, 5% of Cabernet or 5% of Petit Verdot, um, depending on the vintage, um, and co-ferment those together. And uh, what you end up getting, um, in my opinion, is um, you still get a Merlot that that tastes distinctly Merlot, but you're getting that that supporting grape is coming in early and incorporating really early, um, and uh, is is helping lift lift that other variety up. So um, so yeah, we do a lot of that with our Bordeaux um, uh, blends that we have, uh, but on the Rhone side as well. Um, I'm trying to think. We also have Tanat on the property, so we're actually doing Syrah and Tanat co-fermentations oh, too. One of my favorites. I, I I haven't done it lately because um, it, it's a bit risky and, and it just worked out. But in 2017, we did one co-fermentation, one tank of Syrah, Graciano, and Tanat, and it it was probably one of my favorite wines um, wow. that we had ever made. That's um, interesting. Yeah, just super dark, earthy, spicy, and very polarizing. So one of those wines that um, we'll, we'll get we'll get customers that are like, I don't like that, <laughs> and, 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 and that's great. That's totally fine because mm -hmm. I get it. Um, it's you know, especially when we're like, it's it's meaty, it's it's yeah. earthy, it's it's leathery, it's got some tar in there. Um, that doesn't sound appealing to some people, and I totally understand that. But you'll um, have but other people who are buy it by the caseload. Oh, absolutely. We have people who, who uh, we had some customers who, uh, I'm trying to remember where, oh, they were from, uh, their family was in Armenia. And they mm -hmm. took it all the way back to Armenia oh, wow. to, to their family because they loved it so much. And I was like, that's the, that's the stories that that yeah. keep us making these kinds of wines. So, yeah. um, so we we always are trying new things, and and that SGT, that single co-fermentation that we ended up bottling, the idea was that was going to go into the Hell's Kitchen, and that, you know that was going to be a oh. component of the Hell's Kitchen. But this was the best way to do it was to we wanted um, it was a, a small pick of Syrah Graciano Tanat off the tops of um, all of our little hills and that were ripening at the same time but we didn't want to pick all of it at once because every some of it would be not as ripe as we'd like it to be so we picked in these small picks um and we did some a uh, whole cluster on uh, the graciano because i love that peppery quality that extra mm -hmm. peppery and floral quality you get from the whole cluster and uh and yeah it just ended up being being a beautiful beautiful wine so 
Um, so yeah, we use Gracian all over the place. <laughs> You'll awesome. see it ends up in, uh, it ends up like we talked about our Jersey girl, our house kitchen. Uh, it even ends up in, um, we'll do that's raw Graciano co-fermentation I talked about. Um, we do a, uh, what's called our Sawbones blend, which is um, a Cab Syrah blend. And often it's Cabernet, Syrah, and then there's a little bit of Graciano in there. And again, it's not planned. It's, it's from that co-fermentation that we're doing starting in the vineyard. And then you also like to play with your fermenting vessels. You have a yeah. lot of vessels. Yes. Yes, yeah, we have a mixture of closed top tanks, we have open top tanks, um, we have the, the T-bins, the, the one and a half ton T-bins, which um, for, for us, because we're, we're mostly stainless, uh, stainless steel tanks, um, can get moved around a lot, you know, throughout the cellar, we're pretty, we're pretty small here and not a lot of space, but those are great for testing those, those, those co-fermentations. Um, you know, let's say it's something that we think is maybe a little bit more risky, but we can do a small scale version of that. Um, and uh, open tops are great because you can control them a little bit more. You can manipulate them a little bit more if you want to do more punch downs or less punch downs. And uh, and especially a whole cluster, like we were talking about. Um, you know, we, we can, we'll do, uh, especially in open tops, we'll do a lot more whole cluster in those because you, 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 you have some options there as opposed to once you put it in a closed top tank, it's... Uh, kind of right. you're kind of done from there so <laughs> um yeah and then uh have not yet experienced i have in the past but not here at jade i haven't done a lot of like barrel fermentations um it's something that we've uh, looked into into doing but um for me the most important part is just learning i, I feel like you can't learn enough about uh, what you're getting out of the vineyard um and and testing those co-fermentations as opposed to um as opposed to trying to control uh, some of that tannin and oak integration. Um, but that being said, we do a lot of things that, that are very similar, you know, or get the, we get our wines on oak early. We get, uh, we do um, blending very early. So uh, we make up for it in those ways. I was doing some research on food. I can't care. believe you're going to ask this question, Deb. I, can't. <laughs> I, I love Laura that you know this. Wait, wait. <laughs> so one so okay. of the things I read and yes. it said that it paired well. Is this about me? Is this about me? No, no. no. It paired well with seared kangaroo with raspberry glaze. I was just like, oh. Wait, you don't, you don't, you don't eat the, you don't eat that every every Saturday. That's not your. No, it's, it's my Sunday dinner. It's my Sunday dinner. Oh, Sunday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> seared Anyways. kangaroo. It said it said seared kangaroo with a raspberry glaze, and yeah. I'm like. Okay, yeah. I have no idea what kangaroo yeah. tastes like. So, what do you pair? What's a good pairing for, uh, for Graciano? <laughs> and what is your favorite pairing with it? Let me. I'm gonna make some assumptions here because uh, I should have asked my Australian friends on this. One. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make some assumptions that kangaroo is on the gamey side. That's what <laughs> like, I'm thinking too. Yeah, a little bit leaner, a little bit gamier. Um, uh -huh. I, I think Graciano is a fantastic food pairing wine. Um, I think because the, the tannin integration is so great, the balance is so great. Um, I found that you it's very versatile, whatever you pair it with, you're not, it's not necessarily bad. I'll, I'll put it this way. The wine's not gonna mask anything that you're eating. It's going to, whatever you're eating is gonna lift a different aspect 
from that from the Graciano out. And uh, but I love pairing it with things that are a little bit um, maybe have a little bit of heat, a little more heat. Whereas you know with something like again like Merlot, you're not going to do a lot of spicy or like hot spicy okay. stuff. Mm-hmm. Anything that that brings out that um, black pepper uh, in the food is going to pair well with the black pepper that's naturally in that wine. But I totally get. I do also get the sort of reduction, fruit reduction sauce uh, as well, because you can get this broad, almost rich, sweet, um, dark fruit off of the Graciano. And I think, again, you're just going to lift that up in the wine. So um, that makes a lot of sense to me. To me, lamb is a great pairing with Graciano. Um, uh, You know, anything that's kind of got wild, more wild or more, um, fragrant spices like Moroccan, Moroccan dishes as well. Um, that works really well. And then, and also I just, I just had it with, just because this is closer to home. My, uh, my fiance is, is, um, you know, kind of stays away from, from gluten and from, from dairy a lot. So we had it with a spicy, uh, we had this Hell's Kitchen actually with a, uh, it was a spicy, um, you know, like Italian sauce, uh, but on a cauliflower gnocchi, you know, and, and it just, it works totally well. Your fried um, Davlo or whatever. Don't they call what was it? that, sorry? Fried da- Davlo or something, the spicy tomato sauce. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, no, isn't fried Diavolo like seafood stuff? Isn't a ribiata? Like, are you thinking? Yeah, it was more like an arabiata. Yeah, I would say it's okay. more like that. Exactly. So, um, and, and for I me. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, because that is a little bit on the hot, hotter, but spicy side, and mm-hmm. and uh, for me, it they paired it paired perfectly because it, it, you know it didn't. Uh, I was expecting kind of the tomato based sauce to maybe mask um, or not really hold up to uh, to the wine or the wine not to hold up to it, and and uh, no, I was I was I was very pleasantly surprised. But yeah, I think I think it works really well with the more of the gamey dishes. Um, on the seafood side, you know don't be afraid to go with the, like the more blackened version that the, again, add those spices, um, you know, add those, you know, just kind of a little bit more powerful and pungent um, uh, aromatics are going to pair perfectly with, uh, with this wine. And uh, kangaroo, Mike, kangaroo, apparently. Kangaroo, <laughs> kangaroo. I saw that. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, Michael says he pairs 100% Graciana with marinated and seared uh, barbecue tri-tip. Oh, see, yeah, that makes, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Marinated and seared. Yeah. See for me, well, and again, I love, I love like a good sear on, on, on anything really, but I think when you get those, those, those more like charcoaly, but like, you know, almost, I don't want to say like tar, but you get that, that, um, that characteristic when you draw that out of the meat, this, that Graciano just does really well with that. Well, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking Graciano and sharing Hell's Kitchen with us. And I just want to add, want to make sure everybody knows how to find Jada because, you know, I can't drive everybody to your winery. I'll do it as often as I can, Jeff, <laughs> but I can't drive everybody there. So, how do people find Jada? You're not gonna, you're not gonna start a a, a limo service uh, as well. Only dedicated to Jada. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. No, like like I said, we're we're mostly through the taste room. Uh, we love the opportunity to 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 talk with our customers and explain our wines um, person to person and face to face. So, um, you can find our wines here at, at Jada. 
we're off of Vineyard Drive on the west side of, of Paso Robles. I would say we're about um, 15 minutes from the 101. Um, we're, and uh, for those who are uh, touring the coast, we're about 20 minutes from Cambria and in Cayucas. Um, so, so great, great location. Um, you can find us, um, uh, you can purchase our wines online at www.jadavineyard.com. And uh, I had to remember that one. <laughs> uh, and, and, and also, I always forget our social media, but you can, if you look up Jada, Jada Wines or Jada Vineyard, you'll find us right away. Um, and, and that'll, that'll, that'll uh, point you in, in the right direction. Um, I don't have a list yet, yet of where you can find us out in the world. Um, we're getting close to being able to put together a list like that. We are, like I said, we're at a, a few selection, uh, selections of restaurants um, in Colorado now. Um, Arizona, and then uh, as uh, Lori and I were talking about earlier, we just got um, distribution somehow for the first time in into New York. So um, wow, yeah, yeah. So we That's it's, it's something we've been working towards because again, we have the Hell's Kitchen and the Jersey Girl, and mm -hmm. I think it's going to appeal to a lot of people over there. Um, we have the story behind it too, um, to as well. So, uh, but we're, yeah, right now I can't can't tell. You know, keep an eye open as well. I'll say if you're if you're at a at a at a restaurant and, and see. I will. I will look for it. Yeah. So I actually did. I had to stop myself from from <laughs> drinking so I could save just a little bit <laughs> to to raise a glass at the end and say thank you for coming yes, on thank you. and sharing sharing all of your information, sharing Graciano and Hell's Kitchen with us. Mm -hmm. And so raise a glass again, Slancha. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so for much. having me on. That was no This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha. There is always time for a good glass of wine. Right now.